Good morning again. We are in um, our second and final week of our Covenant Sermon Series, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Today's title, as you see it on the screen, The Covenant Life. The Covenant Life. You're going to want one of these. I mentioned this earlier, but if you weren't here, you're going to need one of these. And so you probably got one coming in or you got one last week. But if you don't, maybe just raise your hand and our ushers will make sure you get one. If you need one, just raise your hand. We'll get it to you right now. While they're doing that, I will get going. I'm actually curious about this. How many of you, well, we'll wait till these ushers get out. I got a quick poll. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? If you make a New Year's resolution, say I. Okay, that's a lot of you. Now, how many of you have already failed your New Year's resolution? Say I. I. Yeah, so... That's generally how it works. Many of y'all seem to be doing better than me. Um, but, but every year, there's something about a new year and, and something about, about starting fresh and starting new and making a commitment. And I'm going to be, I don't know, I'm going to be more spiritual this year. Or I'm going to be better at reading my Bible this year. Or I'm going to exercise more this year. We, we make all of these commitments. And generally speaking, for most people, I think they've done surveys on this across the nation. For many people, these things are gone finished, done with by the end of January. You're not even a twelfth of the way there, and we're already failing at that. And so what we're trying to do here at St. Paul's with our covenant month, or our covenant couple weeks this year, is, is to think about these New Year's resolutions. Think about getting a, taking a fresh start in 2014, um, but really putting some meat on it and really sanctifying it and inviting the Lord, inviting the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and inhabit in us and enable us to follow God more closely with whatever we think God is calling us to in this particular year. That's what, what, what the covenant month is or the covenant, um, our covenant, our covenants. That's what these are, is inviting the Lord to take... Um, a resolution that we can't fulfill on our own accord and to show up in a major way to somehow work in our lives, to lead us on in this, this path towards holiness, to, to enable us to follow Jesus Christ better. That's what covenant, what our covenants are all about. So you've got these in your hands, and let me just um, orient you to them really quick. Um, and you've seen them, hopefully, but, but just, just to remind you, we've got this little flap on the side here, this is where you would actually write down your covenant. And so you just pray, Lord, what are you, what are you calling me to this year? What, what, are you gonna work, what areas of my life are you going to work on? And so you would write that down right here on the side. Um, on the back is a fabulous prayer. Don't lose this part. This is a prayer where we invite the Lord to show up and to do these things in our lives. It's a great prayer. Um, I invite you to read it frequently and often as you're reflecting on your covenants this year. And then finally here in the middle are some ways, some things that we might invite the Lord to do in our lives this year. I think, I think there's ten of these things, um, you know, it's, it's things like choosing Christ. Maybe, maybe you haven't chosen Christ. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you think, you know what, 2014, I need to know Him. I want to know Him. I need to find out what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe you need to do that again. Maybe you've chosen Christ once, and you've kind of decided, well, I'm not so sure about that, and you're ready to come back. That, that could be part of your your covenant, or it could be, um, you know, I want to be more intentional about worshiping every Sunday morning or, or reading my Bible every day, or maybe you're thinking, I'm ready to step out. You know, I've got people, I've got friends in my life that don't know Jesus. I need, I'm ready for God to enable me to tell them about my faith. 
There's all these options here in the middle on what we might covenant with the Lord to do in 2014. Some of you are type A people, and you're going to do all of these. Or at least that's what you're telling yourself right now. Don't try it. Don't try it. it it's too much. It's a lot. Just one of these you might, surprise, you might find to be per, um, particularly difficult, and, and you might keep running into roadblocks. And it's going to take a lot of work, and the world's gonna, Lord's going to need to do a pretty major work in your heart to actually be able to make any progress in this. And so I would pick one or two, maybe three if you're really adventurous, but probably one or two, and really concentrate on them and see what the Lord is doing and wants to do in your life. So we began this uh, two-week series last week, um, and Mike talked about the covenant God. If we're going to understand this idea of covenant, we have to understand the God who makes them. And we were reminded of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Do you remember that? And Abraham um, said, said, Lord, show me a sign. You, you've promised me these great things, but, but how do I know that they're going to happen? And so the Lord said, Abraham, cut up some, some animals, some birds, and I think a ram, and, and make, a, make an isle. And, and Abraham did that. It was an ancient covenant-making ritual. And Abraham um, waited and waited, and he drove off the wild animals trying to, to eat the dead ones that he had, he had, he had laid out for the Lord. And, and eventually, Abraham falls into a... He's, he's got a vision, or it's a very real, but, uh, but surreal even, experience he has where he sees the Lord come in the form of a, a smoking pot. And the Lord himself passes through these aisles of, of dead animals. The Lord himself is, is making a covenant with Abraham, and he's saying, if, if, if I break my end of the covenant, God is saying, I will die. But here's the interesting thing, as Mike said last week. Abraham never walked through the animals. This was a covenant between God and Abraham, but Abraham did not walk through the animals. And so what is happening then is God is taking on both ends of the covenant. He's saying, Abraham, if I don't do my part, I'm going to die. But he's also saying, Abraham, if you don't do your part, I will die. That's the covenant God has made with Abraham. And we're children of Abraham, all who believe in Jesus Christ. This is our legacy. This is our covenant. And we have broken our part, but God has fulfilled this covenant through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's taken our punishment that we deserve for breaking the covenant on His shoulders. Do you see how that works? That's our covenant God. He's entered into this covenant with us, and the only thing required of us is faith. To believe that what He's done for us is actually for us. To accept that, to enter into relationship with Him. And everything after that is a life of thanksgiving. There's nothing to earn. It's already been earned for us by Jesus Christ. It's all grace, all thanksgiving. And so this week, then, we're on the covenant life. What, what does a life look like that's lived in light of that covenant? And the first thing I want to do is simply to acknowledge the difficulty of all of this. Um, in our age, and especially in the Western world, Western modern world, and especially in the Western modern world in North America, and especially in the United States, we have a really hard time, I think, with this idea of covenant. A covenant is, um, <clears throat> in many ways, it's a contract. You know, it's binding. Certain parties agree to do certain things, and, and they're, they're bound to it. 
Um, and there's penalties if, if it's broken. You know, we're familiar with contracts, real estate, um, business. We're, we're making contracts all the time. And we're comfortable with that. But the contracts, they're pretty cold, aren't they? There's something very unrelational. Certainly they're necessary from time to time, but, but there's something about them is pretty cold and distant and unrelational, very legal, if you will. So a covenant, in many ways, is a contract, but it's more than that because it's not unrelational. There's a very personal and intimate connection when you're making a covenant with somebody. And so um, a covenant, then, is, so it's a contract, but more. But it's also um, mutual affection for somebody. It's a love of somebody else. Um, and so we enter into covenant with people when we, when we love them. There's, there's a deep affection between two parties who enter into a covenant. But it's more than that, too. Because when we love somebody, we often only love them as long as we feel like it, right? We hear it all the time. I just don't love them anymore. I've fallen out of love. But, but a covenant is, is more than that. It's more than how we feel at any particular moment. It's a, a deep and dedicated commitment to them. And so we're really good, as Westerners, at separating these things. Okay? Love, contract, but covenant brings them together. And so it's really hard for, our to, our, for us to wrap our minds around that. Why? Why is that? A covenant, friends, requires us to be more committed to the relationship than to our own wants and desires. To be more committed to a relationship than what we need or what we want or what we desire. And this is why it's hard for us, because in the United States, one of our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, is is built, the Constitution itself is built on this idea that individuals have rights. And so we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, do we not? And we do. These are good things. I'm not criticizing them at all. But when it comes to intimate, personal relationships, if all we're hanging on to is our own rights, and we're putting them ahead of the relationship, it's it's not going to work. It's doomed to failure. Between people and the government is one thing, but between a husband and a wife, or a father and a son, it's something totally different altogether. And so a covenant actually calls us to lay down part of who we are so that the relationship might flourish and prosper. This is an aside, but this is why our marriages are falling apart, friends. It's why they're falling apart, because we marry one person, and that person changes. And, and things are different, and then all of a sudden we, we, we fall out of love. We don't love them anymore. They're not meeting my needs anymore. They're not fulfilling me anymore. What's the point of being in a relationship with somebody if I'm not fulfilled, right? That's why they fall apart. Because we've lost, we've totally lost this idea of a covenant where my needs, your needs, both are set aside for the good of this relationship. And when that happens, it's amazing. People are, there's people in this room that have relationships like that. And and they, they will testify to that. That is an amazing thing. When it doesn't happen, then it's um, somebody's being exploited or even abused. But when both parties can lay down themselves for the purpose of the relationship, it's glorious. And that is what God has called us to do and called us to say in our 
relationships, our intimate relationships, our covenantal relationships. We, we, we should have an attitude that goes something like this. I will fulfill my commitment to you regardless of whether or not you fulfill your commitment to me. I will fulfill my commitment to you regardless of whether or not you actually do the same to me. Now, we definitely have to be careful. We're all sinful people. We're all going to be in relationships where somebody else is doing that and we're not or we're doing it and somebody else is not. It's a messy thing to work through. But, but when we say covenant, that's what we're talking about, that sort of commitment. And when both people are doing it, it's amazing. Now, we have, if you will, an example of that in our readings this morning. This is a, a divine covenant between two people who aren't going to mess this thing up. And so we can really look at this and we can really see what's happening. We've got the baptism of Jesus. John, you'll remember him from our Advent readings. He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing camel hair. He's eating locusts and honey. He's a crazy man. People are flocking to him to get baptized in the River Jordan. Why? Because they know they're sinful. They want to repent. They know God is coming. And so they're getting ready. John's out there and he's doing these things. And all of a sudden... Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He's probably about 30 years old. He's studied under his father as a carpenter in Nazareth. He's coming of age. He's about to inaugurate his ministry. And the very first thing he does in his public ministry is he goes to the wilderness to see his cousin John to be baptized. And John rightly is like, whoa, Jesus. Don't you have this backwards? You're the Messiah, I'm John, you need to baptize me. But how does Jesus respond? This is is fascinating to me. So John says, I'm not baptizing you, Jesus, you have to baptize me. And Jesus says, let it be so now, verse 15, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying, John, if we want to fulfill the scriptures, if we want to fulfill righteousness, You have to baptize me. I'm I'm submitting to that. John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here we have, in Jesus' baptism, the inauguration of his ministry. Um, A couple of things are going on. One is simply that Jesus, who is God himself, is validating the ministry of John. John, what you've been doing is right. It is good. It's so right and good that I'm actually going to partake in it myself. Um, But what we also see here in Jesus' baptism is God, the God-man, the divine Son of God, Jesus himself, fully and completely identifying with us as human beings. He is submitting himself to the baptism that we are partaking in for repentance of sins. We're saying, we're sinful people, therefore baptize us. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He has done no wrong. But he submits to that. He fully identifies with us. God himself has become man so much so that he's he's been willingly baptized by another man. That is is fascinating. 
And so that's one end of the covenant. Jesus submitting to the will of God. Jesus submitting um, to, 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 to become one of us. But the second part of the covenant is, is on God's end. Because Jesus is baptized and he's raised. And God says, behold, this. This man here being baptized by John. He is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And so Jesus submits and God glorifies him. Jesus humbles himself and God glorifies that humility. That's, that's how their divine covenant works out. This Trinitarian covenant, if you will. And it's even more than that, is it not? Because Jesus' whole life was one of, of humility and, and submitting, working through the power of the Holy Spirit that descended on him at his baptism. Jesus Christ humbled and submitted himself even to death, did he not? Even to death on a cross. Can you imagine what sort of covenant faithfulness that would require? Saying, God, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't really want to do this. If it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but yours. Do you see that? Not my will be done, but yours. So Jesus Christ submitted even to the point of death on a cross. And God fulfills his end of the covenant, raising him from the dead and glorifying him. And then he invites us into that. To be a part of that divine covenant through Jesus Christ. That we might be baptized with him in his death and raised in his resurrection. We, we, in some strange way, participate in that divine covenant with Jesus Christ. And so you have Peter in our reading from Acts this morning saying this to, to a bunch of people who have just received Jesus, or are about to receive Jesus. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who participates in this covenant, receives Forgiveness of sins receives the glory, the raising from the dead, just like God raised Jesus from the dead. So that's what a covenant looks like. That's the covenant that we are invited into. And the question for us then is how, what does a covenant life look like? What does it look like? And so when we think about our covenant lives, this is, this is what I want you to remember. Our covenant with God is not dependent on what he will do for us, okay? Sometimes we, we, we covenant with God and we say, you've prayed this prayer, I know you have. God, if I do this, then surely you'll do this for me, okay? God, I'll read my Bible every day and you'll let me win the lottery, right? That's how that works. Our covenant with God is not dependent on what he will do for us, our covenant God is not dependent on what we will do for him. Okay? So this covenant that we're entering into with God has, has no dependence on how holy we are. It's not like, God, let me into the covenant if I can be this holy. If I can meet this standard, surely you'll let me in to heaven. I used to, in seminary, I worked as a, as a hospice chaplain. And it was, it was very challenging sometimes and I would ask people a question. You know, they're, they're dying. And I'd say, well, how, you know, how are you with God? How's your relationship with God? What, what's, what's coming next for you? What do you expect? And they said, well, I hope I've done more good things than bad things. And I'm hoping that'll be enough. What an amazing opportunity to proclaim the grace of God. 
that it's not dependent on how many good things we've done. There's not a scale where we put good things over here and bad things here and see which one comes out. Because the bad will always come out, friends. It will always come out. Our covenant with God is based on what He has already done for us. Not what He's going to do, not what we're going to do, but what God has already done on the cross and in the resurrection. And so it's a covenant of thanksgiving. It's a covenant of thanksgiving. We live a covenant life because God first loved us. We live a covenant life because God first forgave us. We live a covenant life because we want God, we want this world to look at us and say, these people are different. There's something about that life that is speaking something new and different to me, something graceful and loving. I want that. I want to see that. That's a covenant life. It's a life of thanksgiving. And so as our service continues... Um, I want you to, to, as you're worshiping, also pray. Worship and pray. God, how am I going to live a life of thanksgiving? How am I going to live a covenant life? How am I going to live a life where I say that it's not um, dependent on anything else happening to me. It's simply dependent on what you've done in my thanksgiving for that. How am I going to be in relationships where I can totally submit myself to the relationship and not to my needs and my wants and my desires. What, what on this thing is going to help us to realize that? Is it generosity? Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to give more money because I haven't been given very much. And I'm just going to trust that somehow that's going to work out. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win the lottery. You might. But, but something's going to work out there. Or it might just be, God, I don't really have the time, but somehow I'm going to set aside 30 minutes every day to read my Bible. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. That's a covenant life. God, I'm going to tell this person about Jesus. They might hate me for it. They might never talk to me again. They might mock me, but I'm going to do it out of thanksgiving for what you've done. And so in a little bit, we're going to have a chance to hold these up. We're going to pray over them. We're going to um, covenant with God. God, in 2014, how are you going to work in my life? But we're also going to renew the one big covenant, the covenant of forgiveness of sins. And we're going to do that just like we do every Sunday. We're going to receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, where we are made one with each other and made one with him, and where he sends us out into the world proclaiming the gospel. And we renew that covenant every week. And so spend some time, spend some time in prayer as, 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 we, um, as we sing and worship, as we pray over the bread and the wine. Maybe write a little something down on your sheet of paper. Maybe you can expand on it later when you get home. But ask yourself, how, Lord, am I going to live a covenant life of thanksgiving in 2014? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have covenanted with us, even when we were rejecting you, when we were crucifying you, you still, in the midst of that, entered into a covenant with us. I pray, Lord, that we, out of thanksgiving for what you have done, would renew that covenant. We would look ahead to 2014 and invite you, through your Holy Spirit, to work in our lives in a powerful way. And it is in your name that we ask these things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.